Hey everybody, welcome to the X Report. I am Raven X and alongside me today, I got Biggie, aka Ethan Tate, aka a man who has to wait, what, another week or two to see his favorite basketball team play? Ethan, man, this COVID thing is getting ridiculous. That sucks. It's it's hard. Um, so this week though, we got a good show for you guys. We have quite a bit to talk about, so we're gonna try to run through things, especially in the football section, starting uh things off. We're gonna make our predictions for championship weekend as well as talk about if Phillip Rivers is destined to be in the Hall of Fame. With regards to the NBA, we are going to talk if old heads like Shaq and Charles Barkley are too hard on the current NBA players. And then we're going to close out today's show looking at the Royal Rumble card and also talking about the recent comments from WWE legend Undertaker. Now, before we get to any of that, please be sure to check us out at thexreport.net. I repeat, thexreport.net for exclusive sports content written by your truly fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast on our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get things kicked off with the NFL portion. And so typically when it comes to the college football player spotlight, we put it on a specific college um, college player who has their sights set on the NFL. However, instead of talking about a player, I'm going to talk about the overall NFL combine, which it has been announced. They're not going to do it how they normally do it with all the prospects going to um, Indianapolis to perform under the bright lights. Instead, all interviews are going to be held virtually, and then it's going to be regional uh, workouts such as the 40-yard dash or wide receiver or cornerback drills, things like that. Things that make the NFL Combine one of my favorite sporting events of the year. So, Ethan, what are your thoughts on the Combine not being the Combine this year? Said, I'm a huge fan of the combine. It's one of my favorite uh, events of the year. But I understand from a safety perspective, you cannot always, you can't do everything as you normally would, especially with something like the combine when it's so many people in such a close proximity 
and you just don't really know how it's going to turn out. You don't want to risk prospects catching it or coaches catching it, so you rather err on the side of caution. Um, more so than anything, I'm just interested in how these regional workouts and everything are going to go for those players who did opt out of the season due to COVID, such as receiver Jamar Chase or uh, defensive lineman Gregory Rousseau, Michael Parsons, linebacker, like these really top-notch prospects who everyone was so excited to see at the combine because we didn't actually see them in the season. Are they in shape? Are they going to be ready to perform with the lights on bright? Like it's interesting because I think going into this year's draft, this is probably the most uncertainty with prospects. Like with so many of the best players, you're basing what you've seen from them off of what we saw a year ago or a couple years ago as opposed to prospects like Devontae Smith who had a great year this year. How do you compare that between other receivers, you know, or linebackers like Zayvon Collins had a tremendous year. How do you compare that to what Michael Parsons did a year ago? Like it's just so much up in the air, which – I'm I'm interested to see how it shakes out, but I think that not having a combine only like adds to that uncertainty. But let's go ahead and move on to the divisional round of the playoffs, starting with uh, last Saturday's action. The Buffalo Bills beat the Baltimore Ravens uh, 17-3. The Packers beat the Rams 32-18 um, on Sunday. The Browns made things quite interesting, but still ended up losing to the Kansas City Chiefs, 22-17. And the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defeated the Saints, 30-20. Ethan, what would you say were your top three takeaways from this past week's action? Nah, we deserve it. Choked out like in the form of a rear naked choke on the field. So who knows? Like 
Yes, yeah, a lot of interesting storylines going into this week's action. Um, but to answer your question as far as Baltimore, you know, if we want to trade for Julio, I'd be cool with that. Uh, but that's how I would fix the wide receiver issue. But there are some several good receivers who are going to be free agents. This is going to be a matter of how much money they want. But, uh, all right, so let's talk the players we're most impressed by, disappointed by, in our rookie of the week. Uh, starting with me, I would say I was most impressed by my boy Devin White. If you all know, when it comes to LSU players, they usually get a bit of bias. But in Devin's case, this is not that. Devin White played tremendous against the Saints. I mean, especially considering it was his first game back in a while, was dealing with a slight injury and COVID. So he, you would think that he would come out the gates being a bit rusty, but instead he did not do that. He led his team in tackles, um, had an interception, fumble recovery, just did everything you could ask for out of a linebacker. And I'm excited to see how he can help his defense against the Packers. I see that. All right, now in terms of who I was most disappointed in, it's not a specific player. It's actually a group of players. And it's going to be the Baltimore Ravens offensive line, more specifically their interior line. It's been ugly throughout the playoffs. I want to say that in the course of two playoff games, Lamar was sacked, what, nine times? And then when Lamar went out with his concussion, Tyler Huntley, the backup, ended up getting sacked. And for uh, going up against a pass rush like um, Buffalo's, who isn't that prominent, it was just ridiculous seeing how little time Lamar actually had to throw the ball. Like, even when he was dropping back to pass or he had somebody open, he would end up getting hit. And you could tell the frustration was there. That's not even mentioning the bad snaps from Pat McCarry. It was just a lot of frustrating elements into that game. And though I know a lot of people are circling on the lack of weapons, which I do agree hurts, but, I mean, it doesn't matter who you have on the outside if your offensive line can't protect. So I was most disappointed in that group. And then moving on to the final category, our Rookie of the Week. Uh, for me, 
It was a tough one. I was going between a couple of DBs, but I'm going to end up going with safety Antoine Winfield for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Honestly, it was a great week for the Bucks defense, especially their secondary. Um, I could have went in a few different directions as far as the most impressive player, but I'm going to give this for uh, rookie for Winfield. Had uh, six tackles, had a key forced fumble on Jared Cook, which really I feel like turned the tide of the game and really gave the Bucks the momentum to like get out in front. So, I mean, yeah, I would give Antoine Winfield the nod for this week. All right, so let's go ahead and, like I said, we got quite a bit to talk about in this show, so we're going to kind of lightning around the weekly news ahead of the championship weekend, starting with Gummit, so everybody's favorite Southern, no contraceptive using quarterback, Phillip Rivers has decided to hang it up after 17 years in the league 16 with the chargers last season his first and only season with the indianapolis colts he decided that it was finally time to retire so do you think that philip rivers is going to be a first ballot hall of famer when we turn the clock five years Now, another quarterback who's been in the league for what seems like forever, Drew Brees. Now, it was reports that um, this past Sunday's game was going to be his last game at the Superdome. Now, he is not officially retired yet, but it's looking like he is going to hang up the cleats. Um, when do you think that Drew is going to officially announce it? Now, though I agree with you about I don't think that Phillip Rivers is going to be first ballot, I think that Drew is a first ballot hands down. Now, let's turn the tide to a guy who we talked about a lot last week, Deshaun Watson. Now, everybody's kind of had some speculation as to where they think Deshaun Watson should go. Not just media, not just fans, but current NFL players. In fact, Richard Sherman a couple of days ago said this, which at the time, I didn't understand it. And then now after today's news, which we'll get to, we'll kind of touch on that a bit more. But um, in an interview with Colin uh, Collinsworth, he said, if I was Deshaun, I would get out of there as quickly as possible. Speaking of Houston, I'd head to New York. The Jets, I'd, it'd be the most beautiful situation. Now, of course, upon hearing that, my thought process is why the Jets? Why would the Jets be the first team that you would want to go to if you're a quarterback? And now apparently reports have come out today that in terms of his favorite locations or his top locations, the Jets seem to be number one, and then the Dolphins are number two. 
The legitimacy of those reports have not necessarily come out yet. But Ethan, what do you think about the fit of Deshaun in New York? Uh, yeah, they hired Robert Sala, the um, defensive coordinator for the 49ers, which is a move that I like, but still, it's the Jets. They just got a new head coach. He's a defensive guy. I wouldn't be too quick to jump to New York. Me, personally, I would want to, if I were to show I would want to go to a team that has already more of an established culture, and they just need, like, and they're just a quarterback away. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, San Francisco. Like, that was, in my opinion, San Francisco Yeah, I think that would be a good move as well. When I look at it from a Jets standpoint, like you said, like you're pretty much just leaving the kettle to go to the pot. If anything, the Jets are a worse team. I think that they're la- they have worse weapons. They have I pretty much a defense as bad as the one that you already have. The only difference is they don't have a J.J. Watt. So I think if I'm Deshaun, and I'm not saying that the Dolphins are just loaded with weapons offensively, but they have a lot of draft picks still. And then their defense is very, very good. So if it were between those teams, I just don't understand how the Jets could be the top one. And But like you said, like a team like the 49ers would be much better. I could see a team like Chicago working. Because uh, I feel like you could – I think if you get Deshaun Watson there, Allen Robinson isn't going anywhere. You get to keep your best receiver. Teams are going to want to come play. I mean, not teams. Players are going to want to play with Deshaun. So, yeah, like the reports of him in the Jets just just seems weird. Speaking of something else that's going to be weird is seeing Mark Ingram not in a Ravens uniform. He was released by the team on Tuesday, unsurprisingly, due to how, uh, how often he was inactive towards the end of the season. And I'm not going to lie, even though he's only t- on the team for two years, he's high-key one of my favorite Ravens. Like, between the big trust to being, like, one of the best teammates, sideline guys you can really have. Like, I've grown to really love Mark Ingram, and it sucks that he will not be a Raven in the future. But, Ethan, what team do you think could best use his talents going into next season? Honestly, I would say a team like the Buffalo Bills because I feel like you could get him on a a lower, eventually minimum contract. And like Buffalo, they have Josh Allen, who's the MVP candidate this season. But I think the one thing that they miss is like a balanced attack. Like they need somebody that can run the ball and balance out their offense, especially when it comes down to situations later in games. Like you don't want to be up and then potentially put Josh Allen in a situation to throw a pick. So if you potentially bring in Mark Ingram and have him in a bell cap, I mean, not a bell cap, but um, a running back by committee situation with Devin Singletary and um, Zach Moss, and you can grind out the game, I think they, they can work out perfect. I agree. I think that Buffalo would be a great fit just because they don't run the ball. Even against Baltimore, I think in the first half, they may, might have run the ball like one time. Like, they don't run the ball. 
And Devin Singletary is fine, but he's not meant to be a bell cow. Zach Moss is fine, but he's not meant to be a bell cow either. So why not get one of the best veteran running backs in the league, not only to help provide a push, but also kind of coach up those young guys into being better players. I think Buffalo would be a great fit. Um, I was torn between two spots, uh, both in the NFC, but I'm going to say the Seattle Seahawks. Reason being, um, Chris Carson is due to be a free agent. And depending on how much money he wants, they may let him walk just because Jamal Adams is going to have to begin the contract soon. Um, they got to make room for other people, especially if they want to bring in some more offensive linemen, things like that. So I can see Chris Carson being on the way out. And I think that bringing in a Mark Ingram would help out this run game exponentially because, one, he's more consistent than Carson. Despite his age, he really hasn't had that many injuries um, in the last few years. He's a great mentor to younger backs who like a Rashad Penny who – and no way am I saying he's like Alvin Kamara, but he is a versatile back. He can do a little bit of everything. So I think having that one-two punch in Seattle would help out their offense a lot and just get a veteran presence there, especially because he's a character guy. I think that he could really help boost up the confidence of this team. But uh, let's go ahead and move on to a signing that did take place after being released by the Washington football team late in the regular season, Dwayne Haskins seems to have found a home and has signed a future deal with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, Ethan, in looking at this move and not really knowing what's going on with Big Ben, what are your thoughts on this signing? I think this is a, a low-risk, high-reward type of signing. Because I think that you could bring in doesn't necessarily, he's not guaranteed a starting job. Like, Pittsburgh can still find a way to bring in another free agent quarterback or try to get one in the draft. Right. And work from there and make them compete for it. But I think that if they can bring Dwayne Haskins in, they can get him into their Pittsburgh culture of, like, winning and doing everything that they can to win and, like, change some of the habits that he had in Washington where he was, like, he wasn't a good leader. Like, he wasn't showing up to practice on time. Things of that next like if they could break that because if, if they could break that because the thing of it is Dwayne Haskins he, he is a talented dude like you don't just go to Ohio State and put up fifty touchdowns in a season and like not have talent like right. I understand Ohio State is one of those teams that have a lot of weapons around them but I think you still have to have some level of talent to make that work so I think that and maybe you know having Mike Tomlin as a coach who was one of the more respected coaches in the league that can bring some um that can knock some of the knuckleheadness out of Dwayne Haskins. Like I understand that Ron Rivera is also one of the more respected coaches and he did those things there. But I also will say this having a well respected black coach, like somebody that Dwayne Haskins to look up to as not only as a coach, but like maybe a father figure, like maybe a big brother. Mm-hmm. That could I like the um, I like the standpoint you had about having a Mike Tomlin as his head coach because I mean representation matters and I think that people started to I guess kind of question Tomlin's leadership when all the stuff was going on with A B and Le'Veon Bell but I mean he's still like you said a respected coach he's still a great coach it's just his team has an immaturity issue. And I think that's the only reason why this signing of Dwayne Haskins I don't exactly love because this is a very immature team, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Like, Big Ben, we know Big Ben's history. 
Juju, the season Juju just had. If you look at guys like Clay, Chase Claypool, who is are talented. These are all talented guys, but just you question if the maturity is there. And like you said, like it's low risk, high reward, because nobody is saying, oh, well, Dwayne Hass is immediately going to start. That That's nowhere near the case. But if he were to be in a position where he had to start, I don't know if right now he's a guy who I would want to rally the troops. I think one thing that kind of benefits him is unlike in Washington, he has guys who can take that leadership role, at least on the defensive side of the ball, like a TJ Watt, Cam Hayward, guys like that, they're going to be listened to. You know, they have that. Whereas with Washington, they really didn't have players like that who could rally the troops. So kind of like you were saying, I think it's low risk, high reward. But overall, if I'm Pittsburgh, I would not, unless he was going to be limited to a backup capacity for at least 10 games in the upcoming year, I would kind of be worried just because I don't know if that maturity is there. But all right, let's talk uh, some recent coaching updates. Uh, last week we talked the uh, first six quarter, I mean, first three head coaching positions that were filled. And then three more were taken care of this week. Uh, the Chargers hired Rams defensive coordinator Brandon Staley as their new head coach. Lions hired um, assistant Saints assistant coach Dan Campbell as his as their head coach. And uh, like he said in his opening uh, press conference, he is going to uh, they're going to take off teams' kneecaps. I'm gonna rip them off. Did you watch this press conference or just see clips I, of it? I didn't watch it, but I heard. And I was like, I'm not going to lie. I don't know how he will be as a coach, but I kind of like the whole, like, old school, we're going to take a punch and get back up and keep fighting type of philosophy that he, pre- that he preached in his press conference. Yes, what he said was very much over the top, but I like the message that he was trying to portray. Yeah, I feel that. I think that it's definitely your delivery, and the delivery is what seals it for me, but – uh, and then finally, the Eagles hired Nick Sarani, offensive coordinator of the Colts, to be their new head coach. So, Ethan, of the three head coaching uh, head coaching jobs that were filled, which fit do you like the best? Um, I'm going to go with Nick Sarani of the Eagles because everybody knows that when Carson Wentz was having his stellar MVP season, mm-hmm. was the offensive coordinator. Right. And can't technically get Frank right, but if you can get the man that's under him as the offensive coordinator that probably runs a very similar offense that Frank Wright ran when he was the offensive coordinator in Philly, that might help solve a lot of the issues on the offensive end, especially with Carson Wentz and quarterback, and it might give him his confidence back. And if you have a healthy company in Carson Wentz in a very familiar system that he, that he was used to running, I think they can honestly win the division. I think so, too. I think that the Serrani hire was made with Carson Wentz as a starter in mind. I just think that it's going to go back to being, with Carson being the starter, that no matter what happens, if he has a bad game, it's like, well, Jalen Hurts going to come in. Like, it's always going to be those questions. Just because everybody got a taste of Jalen, and so now Carson Wentz is on thin ice, pretty much. He can't really mess up because if he does, everybody's going to be calling for his head. Um, and now the only head coach in vacancy left of the Houston Texans, which everyone likes to point out was the first one open, still has not solidified their head coach of the future. But it seems like uh, they're looking for a veteran presence in Josh McCown, 
journeyman quarterback. Seemingly has felt like he's played for every team and has played forever. He's actually currently on their practice squad. Was recently interviewed for the head coaching spot. Do you think that it would work for McCown to be their next head coach? Um, no. And the reason I say this is because, like, I understand he's a very respected player. He's a journeyman. He has a lot of years in the league. But I think to automatically jump from being a player to a coach, it's going to be people that – it's going to ruffle fellas. Right. Especially in the NFL because the NFL is one of those type of places where – you get promotions based on years of your experience. Like, you start off as a positions coach, then you get bumped up to an offensive or a defensive coordinator, then you get bumped up to a head coach. So, to automatically go from being a player then going to a head coach, I personally wouldn't do it. I can understand the reasoning of Houston doing it, just trying to exercise all of their options, because quite honestly, they are a terrible franchise right now, and they're in a lot of disarray. Right. So, I'm not looking at every option that we possibly can, but I don't think it would be a good decision. I don't think it would either, especially because everybody's talking about it. Eric behind me, the offensive coordinator for the Chiefs, Benham, I'm sorry, is still available. I mean, apparently he's interviewed for the job, and it's just I think it kind of goes back to the Rooney rule and the lack of representation in black head coaches because with the offense that the Chiefs run and how potent they have been since he's been there, it's like, how does this man have not have a job? And so I think if Josh McCown was to get this opportunity over him, I think it's going to open up a big can of worms. But because we're talking about the Houston Texans, who in recent years have expressed that they don't really care about that stuff, who knows how that's going to shake out. But, yeah, I don't think it would be the best move either, especially because it's one thing for a player to be like a player's coach and then to be like an actual head coach. Like, it's a complete different set of responsibility. So, personally, I don't think it would be the best move. But I, I think, I'm sorry. Go ahead, man. And I was just going to say, going back to the Airbnb enemy thing, of, like, me personally, I think if Houston wants to keep Deshaun Watson, me personally, I think that would be a great hire because, A, he's a black head coach. And we know that a lot of Deshaun Watson's issues with the Houston Texans come from them there's the viewpoint of like racial issues and things of that nature, and like we know that history, we're not gonna have the we're not gonna have the um the prisoners running the yard. Right. Like bringing in a black head coach, that can speak volumes to the Sherman Watson because hey, like okay, they hired a black man as my coach. Yeah. They're starting to make measurements of change. Secondly, as far as the football standpoint, this man has had the Kansas City Chiefs. Offense on a prolific pace throughout his whole tenure as the offensive coordinator. And yes, Deshaun Watson isn't Patrick Mahomes, but he is one of the very few quarterbacks in the NFL that has Patrick Mahomes level of talent. Right. And I think that he can make that work with their offense, even with the weapons that they don't have, because they can potentially draft or trade for other pieces. But I feel like they still have decent enough weapons too. They might not be the Chiefs level of good, but they could be a really good The only thing I, I would counteract that with is offense for the Texans has not have not been the problems. It's been their defense. Their defense has been consistently terrible, especially in their secondary. So I think no matter who your head coach is, you have to find somebody who is going to work on that defense because 
Of course, this is saying that you keep Deshaun Watson. You still got to fix that defense. You know Deshaun is going to come out. He's going to perform. He's going to do the best that he can. But without a defense, you can't really do anything. Like, really, their defense is what lost in the game against the uh, Titans week 17. That's the Their defense is what lost in games against the Bengals, against the Packers. Like, there's so many games where you can look at Deshaun played great. He did all he could, but the defense did not step up. So I think that that has to be priority number two, of course, besides finding a way to keep Deshaun in Houston. But I, I was going to say, Exactly. And so you have in a division with an offense like the Titans or with an offense that does its job, case in point, they did it against the Colts too. And the Colts aren't as, I won't say, I'll say they don't have as much of a punch to them that the Titans do. So, and even, like I said, the Bengals. The Bengals offense, who have been terrible for much of the season, got put over 30 points on their head. So it's just stuff like that that's like you have to fix it. So that's why I said, like, that's got to be priority number two. But, all right, let's make game picks for this weekend's championship round, starting with the Green Bay Packers hosting the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Ethan, who you got? I got Packers. I got Packers, too. And, um, of course, quarterback matchups seem to be the thing. Stephen A. Uh, this past week said, regardless of the six Super Bowl titles by Brady, there is not a quarterback alive or dead that I would have taken ahead of Aaron Rodgers. So, Ethan, Super Bowls eliminated. Who do you feel is the better quarterback, Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers? Aaron Rodgers. I agree. I think remove, I agree. If you remove accomplishments and record and winning as far as on the field talent, I would take Aaron Rodgers ten times out of ten. Yeah, because he can do everything that he can do everything that Tom Brady can do inside the pocket. Plus, he can do things that Tom Brady can do outside of the pocket. Yeah, and has a notoriously stronger arm. Like is can move around better. I think that, but I mean, rings talk, which is a big reason why in most people's eyes, when it comes to Super Bowls, I mean, or like best of all time, the conversation goes to Tom Brady, which is understandable. But in terms of talent. Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers is what Patrick Mahomes is now. While people are just all of a sudden this excited about Patrick Mahomes, let us not forget that Aaron Rodgers is a bad SOB too. Was he was doing stuff that Patrick was doing before Patrick got to the league? Aaron Rodgers got tape. He got years to this. Right. He knew. He true to this. He not new to this. Like Patrick Mahomes, he new to this. And I understand. He's the new flashy toy on the yard. Even in his advanced age, he's still doing the things that he's been doing throughout the course of his career that Patrick Mahomes has been doing recently that people are looking at like, oh, my God, it's so amazing. Aaron Rodgers is, what, 37? And he's making the same throws, type of throws that Patrick Mahomes makes. But because he's been doing it for so long. You just get used to it. Yeah, people get used to it. Like, oh, this is Aaron Rodgers being Aaron Rodgers. Which is funny because I think it was a year or two ago when he had a 20-2 and two year, and people were really trying to ride him on it. He was like, my worst year is better than most quarterbacks' best year, which is a fact. I mean, having a 20-2 to two intercept, touchdown-interception ratio is insane. But, yeah, no, I'd also say Aaron. I got Packers, too. Um, I mean, I, I think that this is Aaron's year. I think this is the Packers' year to make it back. I mean, it's been a long time coming. 
And I know we got on the Packers for not really making moves to bring in offensive talent, but I still, for any other, for lack of any other explanation, drafting Jordan Love may have been the best thing they did this offseason just because it lit more of a fire under Aaron Rodgers behind. Yeah. All right, so now moving on to the AFC Championship game, we have the Buffalo Bills versus the Kansas City Chiefs. Who you got? I'm going Chiefs just outright. Of course, Patrick Mahomes is the catalyst for that. If he doesn't play, then it will be really tough for the Bills to not win that game. But I look at it like this. Patrick plays, you get one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Um, His 80% is still better than a lot of quarterbacks, 100%. So, and I mean, you look at the weapons around him, they're still going to be able to ball out. Um, Also, looking at how... Now, I'm not saying the Chiefs have as good as a uh, defense as Baltimore does, but I feel like Baltimore was able to exploit some things with the Bills' offense. I think that they were able to show some chinks in their armor because, I mean, and essentially they were held to 10 points. The other touchdown came off a pick six. They only scored one touchdown. So I think that in looking at it like that, you see a team that can be vulnerable and I think that, like I said, the Chiefs' defense is not that of Baltimore's, but it is good enough to make those stops. Tyron Matthew was an incredibly smart safety. He'll, he's always known to make a big play. So, yeah, I got Chiefs. All right, let's talk the players we're watching offensively, defensively, our rookie of the year, and what team you're calling out. You can go ahead, Ethan. All right, offensively, I am going to be looking at, honestly, I'm not going to lie, I'm looking at all the quarterbacks because I think that, they each have a very interesting perspective story to their ideas from the week. Like, Josh Allen is a guy that honestly came out of nowhere because he was criticized throughout like, the first two, honestly, last season for his play. And, like, is he the franchise quarterback of the Bills? And, like, he showed flashes. And this season, it's like he he came out of a lightning ball and just took over the league being one of the top quarterbacks, Patrick Mahomes. He's the new face of the franchise, uh, not even the franchise, new face of the league. Right. And I think it'll be a good, it'll be a good matchup. Then you have Tom Brady, who's the golden boy, the goat, in a lot of people's eyes, who has six rings, like you just alluded to, versus Aaron Rodgers, who, in my personal opinion, until Patrick Mahomes stepped onto the field, he was the greatest talent I've ever seen in quarterback play, as right. far as a standpoint. And a lot of people can't consider him a goat. He just doesn't have the quote-unquote accomplishments and wins and rings to accompany that statement that people look at. Right. So, at the quarterbacks. Yeah, I feel that. Uh, for me, offensively, I'm going to leave it at one quarterback. I'm going to say Patrick Mahomes. Of the uh, four quarterbacks you just named, he's the only one who got knocked out of his game last week with the injury. And though it's a concussion, we heard nerve, we heard so many different other things, he's still not going to be completely 100%. It's still probably going to have to knock off a couple of the cobwebs. So I'm interested to see how it's going to go up against a defense like the Bills, especially because I'm sure they're feeling themselves at the last week. So offensively, I'm looking at Patrick Mahomes. Defensively, who are you looking at? Defensively, I am looking at quarterback Jair Alexander because just I know that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they don't have the 
Antonio Brown this week, but they still have Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. Yeah. And I don't know if he's going to be solely just paired up against Mike Evans or is he going to rotate between covering the two of those guys. But I think that in order for the Packers to win, you can't let one of those guys have a big game because we talked about it throughout the course of the season how Mike Evans really had had like those big Mike Evans games that we were used to him having mm-hmm. that former season with James Winston as his quarterback. But over the course of the playoffs and like the latter part of the season, Mike Evans has showed up big for the Buccaneers. And I think that if you're able to slow him down or at least slow the both of them down with Jair Alexander, I think that's going to be a big piece of the um, Packers win. Yeah, I also have Jair Alexander, one of the better um, underrated corners. And it's funny to say he's underrated because he's a 90 on Madden. But he hasn't gotten a lot of attention uh, this year, but he's been playing tremendous. And I agree. I think that a key to stopping the Bucks' offense, even though they're deep, I mean, their run game is really starting to get kicked off, you have to be able to stop the pass. And let's be honest, the last couple of weeks, no team has really been able to do that. And so we know Aaron Rodgers is great. We know Devontae Adams is great. We know they're going to put up their points. But can the Packers' defense stop them? Stop the Bucks from doing the same thing? I think it's going to come down to really Jair Alexander being able to do that. All right, what rookie are you watching? What well, rookie am I watching? I'm still watching Antonio Winston. Okay. I think that, like, in order for the Bucks to beat the Packers, their secondary is going to have to be on one accord. And I think that he's probably one of the better players in their secondary and as a safety, he's going to have to make plays all around the field in the passing game, stopping the run. So I'm looking at uh, Antoine Winfield. I'm going to go with Clyde Edwards-Alaire. It's looking like he's going to be playing his first game since week 15, which I'm very excited about. I'm happy to see my boy back. And the last time he played the Bills, he had a tremendous game. I think he had nearly 200 rushing yards. Like, he, he balled out. He had a great game, the best game he had of the season against Buffalo, and I think that in order to beat Buffalo, you can't be one-dimensional. We saw that last week. And like I said, even though we know that the Chiefs have great outside weapons or receivers and pass catchers, they have to be able to run the ball as well. And I think that if Clyde can put forth not even a performance like he did the first time they played, but a performance to where he can help take the pressure off Patrick Mahomes and give him some time to where he won't have to be relied upon to do everything, I think that that can help the uh, Chiefs offense out a lot. Um, especially with um, especially with Patrick Mahomes at a bit of a vulnerable position. And what team are you calling out this weekend? The team I'm calling out, I'm not going to lie. I'm going to call out the Buffalo Bills. Okay. I, think, I think that out of all the teams that stated, they're the biggest underdog. And I think that for them, they're going to have to have, play with their chip on their side. I think over the course of like these last couple of games, for whatever reason, they found ways to add chips on their shoulders. And I think that they're going to have to do it again this week to beat the Chiefs. I feel that. I'm calling out the Green Bay Packers. We talk about Aaron. We talk about how great he is. But when it's all said and done and when you look at the numbers, he only has one ring. And I think that that's going to be something that can plague him. I think that that's going to be something that's not going to get him really in the conversation of the upper echelons when it's all said and done. So I think that if you're Aaron Rodgers and if you're the Packers, this is your prime opportunity. Not every team goes makes it to back-to-back NFC championships. And we know how last year in the NFC championship win, it was an embarrassment. The first time they played the Bucks this year, it was an embarrassment. 
So I think that the Packers are, like you said, are coming in with a chip on their shoulders. I think that they have a lot to prove, and I think that this is the opportunity for them to do it. But all right, let's talk basketball. And unfortunately, we have an, a serious injury to report. Um, Blazers guard CJ McCollum has suffered a fractured left foot. And as of right now, he is going to be out for at least the next several weeks. It's unfortunate because at the time of his injury, he was averaging 26.7 a game and had career highs in um, assists per game as well. So how tough of a blow do you think it's going to be to the Blazers not having McCollum in the lineup? I think it's going to be a big blow because C.J. McCollum was on the team to play like an all-star. Yeah. He, he was top 10 in scoring, if I'm not mistaken. And I'm pretty sure he this has been his highest career, three-point percentage that he's had. Mm-hmm. I think he's shooting to like 40% from, from the three. And we all know that, in my personal opinion, those two guys feed off of each other. Like, I, I know because I listen to C.J. I listen to C.J.'s podcast said, like, you know, some days Dane, when Dane doesn't have it going tonight, this Dane's like, hey, you take us home. You win us the game. And then vice versa. And I think that we'll not have the few days there. I know that Dane can carry a team, but for the amount of time that CJ is probably going to be gone, because people have honestly said CJ is probably going to be gone for like a month. Mm-hmm. It's going to be reevaluated. So, him being gone for like a month, can Dane because also another injury is you can use of Nurkage as well. He's going also. He was a, he's been a big part of their team. So I think that with those two guys missing, it's going to put a major offensive load on Dane. And who knows? You know, maybe Melo will step into that role of being the second option. He, we all know Melo has no issues doing that. Right. And he's very capable because he's a very capable scorer. But this having not had Dane not having his running mate. I agree, and I think that what makes it worse is we saw this last year. Last year, Dame really stepped up. Dame put up great numbers, especially in the bubble, willed his team to the playoffs. It made them look like an intriguing matchup. But in all honesty, I mean, it's tough to do the same thing twice. I mean, Dame is older. He's got more responsibilities. Congratulations to him, by the way, for having twins. That's really dope. But, I mean, his priorities are not exactly going to be in the exact same place. And this season has already been so much up and down with regards to COVID and games being postponed and players getting injured. So I just think that it's going to be, a, like you said, it's going to be a big blow to the Blazers, Just especially because the worst thing that can happen for this team is they get the momentum, they start looking good, and it seems like without fail, injuries start to mount up. And then everything's just left on Dame's shoulders. And I think that that's a lot of pressure to put on a guy who uh, – I'll say this, Dame is definitely one of the best at his position, but he's under a lot more scrutiny now. After you have a great year, everybody's like, well, can you do it again? Are you really that guy? And I think that those are going to be some questions he's going to have to be faced with, so it's a lot more pressure. So I think having CJ out is going to be tough. All right, Ethan, let's talk Mamba Players of the Week, starting with the Eastern Conference. For me, I'm going to say Zach Levine. I think that Zach Levine has continued to be a guy whose game has really evolved over the last few years. He used to be known as just a really good dunker, and now he has a really complete game. Problem is, the Bulls just aren't that good of a team. But over the last few weeks, I mean, last few games, he's been tremendous. On the season, averaging 27.2. 
So just watching him play has been a delight. Like I said, even with a bad team around him, Zach Levine has been balling. For me, I have to go with one Colin Young Bulls because this man on on national television the night that the Nets Big Three was going to be on the court for the first time, this man single-handedly won the Cleveland Cavaliers that game. He scored the last 20 points. That's which is insane. It's like, in my opinion, that's the epitome of Mamba mentality. Right. Like, give me the ball, I'm going to win us the game no matter what. And he went out there and he actually did it. And then the following game against the Brooklyn Nets, that they won again, he didn't have a, as big of a scoring game as he had the first game, but he had 25, 7, and 6. So he was making, he was still playing winning basketball. Right. So I got to Respect. Um, from all right, let's go ahead and move on to the Western Conference. For me, I'm gonna say Donovan Mitchell. I mean, if only he was in a bigger market. Like we, the Jazz have been a very good team this year, second in the West. I want to say what eleven and four right now. They have been a great team, and a big reason for that is because of performances like Donovan Mitchell has had over the past week. I mean, case in point, he is what you want in your star player regardless of what Shaq or other people say. Like, Donovan Mitchell is a franchise player. And I think that this past week showing, like, last game dropped 36. Game before that had 28. couple games before that had 26. Like, he's been balling out. He's done everything offensively the Jazz could really ask for. So he's going to be my Mamba player out of the West. Out of the West, for me, is going to be Nikola Jokic. This man has been dominating the league in a way that very few centers I personally seen have. Like, he's he's basically averaging a triple-double, and he's leading the NBA in the season as a center. So, and he's making plays down the, down the stretch of the games to win basketball games. Like, I watch, I remember seeing, like, him making plays against OKC in the game that was supposed to be, in my opinion, a blowout, because, but because OKC plays hard, they made it a close game. And Nicole Yogi's closed the game out. So I got to go on Nicole. All right. And then moving on to the uh, rookie Mamba of the week. Honestly, it, it I know it's still kind of early in the season, but it's it has not been many rookie performances that have just stood out, which which kind of sucks. So, like, the for me, the Mamba, this week's award is going to go to LaMelo Ball. I know Patrick Williams has some solid games, and um, Tyrese Halliburton is still doing some nice things for Sacramento. But, I mean, this year's rookie class just has not really come out the gate all too, you know, strong. But I'm going to go LaMelo for the past week. I mean, he's leading the rookies in nearly every category besides blocks, I believe. So I'm going to give it to LaMelo. I'm going to go with your guy, Cole Anthony. Like, he, he didn't really have, like, major performances, but he hit that clutch game winner. Right. And in my opinion, when you hit clutch, when you – when I think of Mamba mentality, what's associated with the is Game winners. And he hit it. So I got to go. And also, he, I think he hit two shots before that that were big, crucial shots to get them to their point. So I got to go with Cullen. Respect. All right, so let's go ahead and talk Kyrie. He has finally returned to the team after eight years in the wilderness. 
Um, and is it return podcast? I'm not podcast. I'm sorry. Press conference. He had this to say. I take full accountability for my actions. Had a conversation with each and every one of my teammates. I want to apologize to the fans. I just needed a pause. So before we kind of look at the second part of my question. So starting off, do you think that Kyrie is good now? He's going to stick with the team throughout the rest of the season. So, but I mean, the the crazy part is, as unpredictable as he is, he still is a walking bucket. Had 37 first game back, then the game after that had 38. Now, after the Nets' uh, first game without him, James Harden and uh, Kevin Durant ended up winning the game. It got a lot of fans excited, and it had people question if they even need Kyrie Irving. Uh, former NBA player Matt Barnes even went as far to say that they, in his opinion, they should trade Kyrie and his BS for depth. Do you think that that would be a good move for the Nets to trade him? because he hurt.
Like, regardless of, we're not going to look at the realistic, fi- how financially realistic it is or the trade capital, but just if you had to pick a perfect fit for Kyrie, where are you putting him? I have a team, but for my own personal reasons, I wouldn't want to see it. And it has nothing to do, like, bad about Kyrie. It's just I th- the Lakers, because we still need a point guard. Dennis Schroeder has been playing lights out. He's been playing very well. But, I mean, still point guard, especially since we've lost Rondo. You can tell we've lost a bit of an edge. And then with regards to Anthony Davis, I know he's saying he sucks right now, but I mean, he's still AD. He's still a great player. But I think that it never hurts to have more offense. To, it has, it, I'm sorry. It never hurts to have more offensive weapons, especially because if you look at the Lakers' depth, when Kyrie, I'm not Kyrie, when uh, AD and LeBron aren't on the court, I mean, it, it's a noticeable decline, which we saw last year. I think that if you were to put Kyrie on the court, of course, have him start, but spend more time with the guys on depth. I think that that could open up a lot of opportunities for that offense. Is it going to happen? No. Would I want it to happen for Kyrie's sake? Absolutely not, because I still cannot get over the fact that in, a, in an interview, somebody really asked him how LeBron James was a father figure to him. So, like, for his own, my own personal reasons, for his benefit, I don't want him to come to the Lakers to play with LeBron, but as a fan, I would like to see it. Yeah, see, my first thought was the Lakers I can see the Knicks as well. too. I mean, that's why when he was a upcoming free agent a couple years ago, it was so much speculation about him going to New York. So I don't think that would be a bad fit at all. Like the 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 question is never going to be his talent. It's never going to be is Kyrie a good player? We all know Kyrie is a phenomenal player. It's just the emotional baggage that would come with it. That's the biggest problem. But speaking of emotional baggage, it seems that uh, NBA legends Shaq and uh, Charles Barkley, like we said, are rubbing people the wrong way. Whether it be Shaq and Rudy Gobert getting into it because Shaq didn't believe that Rudy deserved his contract extension, which honestly I don't think neither of us did either, but publicly saying it, calling out James Harden, saying he didn't give his all to his team, and then most recently telling Donovan Mitchell that he doesn't think he has what it takes to take it to the next level. NBA players across the board just seem to be sick of it. Case in point, uh, Kevin Durant, um, after not playing this past game against the Nets, was on Instagram and said, them old heads need to go enjoy retirement. These boys have coaches that they work with every day. 
And then looking at recent comments at following the Donovan Mitchell exchange, um, even LeBron James said, there's a difference between constructive criticism and soft hating, though. I've seen it both ways come my way, mostly the hate. You can hear it in their delivery. So, Ethan, I know you are a Shaq fan. Shaq is your guy. But do you think that Shaq and other NBA legends who do do broadcasts are too hard on the current players? Of course. I think that they have – the biggest thing of it is I think that they have to realize that this isn't the same game that they play. Right. And these aren't the same type of guys that they play. Like, I understand back in their day, everybody wants to be tough. Everybody's this um, hard-nosed guy like Shaq. Like, the one thing I can say, I agree with Shaq with rooted up everything, but as far as the Donovan Mitchell thing, that was straight up pace. Right. Because Donovan Mitchell, like, he had, he's been balling. He's been balling ever since he stepped foot in the league, and each year that he's played in the NBA, he's gotten better. People forget, like, Shaq, just again, the Donovan Mitchell and Jamal Murray were going head-to-head in the bubble putting up 50 a game. Right. That's superstar material. I think that these guys, they are hating on these guys. Some of you, I feel like, is that they they probably deem like the way that the NBA play now was soft. So I feel like they have to kind of like put their criticism as far as that goes. But I think these older guys, they got to realize like, hey, this isn't the same area that we play. This isn't the same game. And I, and me personally, I love what Jonathan Mitchell said. He basically was like, all right, bitch. Yeah, he's like, I've been hearing this since my rookie year. Like, man, I'm going to show you. And he's been balling. And I, me personally, I love Jonathan Mitchell. Like, he's one of my favorite, he's one of my favorite non-bigs in the NBA. Mm-hmm. So, I do think that these older guys, they have to have this whole, they have to lose this whole get-off-my-lawn approach where it's like, back in my day, it was like this, this, and this. Because it's not your day anymore. It's, it's these guys that's playing in the NBA today. I mean, like LeBron, he rightfully had he had every right to say what he said because people got to realize LeBron played in the era of the Shaq and Kobe. Yes, it was towards the latter end of that era, but he played in that era against those guys, and now he's still playing to this day. So LeBron knows all the about all of it because he has longevity in the league. So for him to say what he said, I'll call LeBron because typically LeBron. talking bad about these cats especially because it'd be one thing if Shaq and Charles like came to every show like with all the knowledge in the world like they had watched countless hours of what basketball has been like Shaq didn't really even know Christian Wood was so it just and so if you were coming if you were coming at these guys with a different delivery but also being able to back up what you're saying that's one thing but instead it's kind of just making these blanket statements and then it just kind of being the gospel. Like, Charles Barkley is really bad about just saying stuff, and then that's it. Like, he doesn't really provide much explanation. He just says what he says, and then, like, that's that's it. 
And like because it's entertaining and because everybody thinks they're all funny, nobody really trips off of it. But like if you're one of these basketball players who are you're giving your all and you're doing your best and then no matter what these former legends, all they're doing is talking smack about you. It, I'm sure it gets very old, especially if you are a young player like Donovan Mitchell, who uh, you're trying to build up your resume. You're trying to have a resume like LeBron's or like KD's. And instead, you putting up over 25 a game consistently, and then you get this kind of crap. Like, get out of here. But I do agree with you. The only, I, do, I did agree with Shaq about what he said about Rudy Gobert because that contract was insane. But... Speaking of old heads and their opinions of youngsters, Carl Malone, another Utah Jazz uh, legend, talked about Zion Williamson and his play and had this to say. He needs to average 40 minutes a game. You are 21, 22-year-old kid. Your ass shouldn't be tired. Now, it's been reported, as we all know, last year as a rookie, Zion didn't see too much of the court because availability, was nursing injuries, blah, 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 was on a bit of a pitch count. And now this year, his minutes are starting to increase. His last few games, he hasn't played less than uh, 34 minutes. And he's averaging, a, a what, a solid 23.7. But do you still feel like Zion Williamson is underachieving? I don't. I think that against guys who are significantly taller than him. Like, he may have a weight advantage, but it's not going to be that much of an advantage in the post. Yes, like, he's going, he's making Rudy Gobert look small. Right. Yes, he's not the same player that he was, but he's still a former defensive player of the year. He's still one of the most effective shot blockers slash shot um, deterrents in the NBA. And he's making plays around. I don't think Zion is underachieving. I honestly think he's overachieved because if you think about it, this is his second year in the NBA. His first quarter, his technical first year in the NBA, he only played 20 games. His second year in the NBA, he's honestly now getting, like, real starters minutes, and he's averaging 27 points. He's averaging 23, but I see I what bet. you said. No, 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 you good. Um, Yeah, I I won't say I think he's, un, he's overachieving just because, I mean, the media is going to make their stars. And so the media will have you think when it comes to Zion, like he's averaging like 35 a game, like a walking double-double. But, I mean, he's still having a really good year. And so I think it kind of just goes back to what we're talking about, like, well, what more do you want from him? Like, 
40 minutes is a lot to ask anybody to play, no matter how old they are. Especially in the NBA, especially this season, because so many games are just back-to-back. Or, like, you might get one day's break. Like, unless your team gets a postponement and they're trying to get all these games in in a certain amount of time, like, you're not getting much of a break. So I think that it's asking for a lot of anybody to be playing 40 minutes and just giving all that they can. Like, even though he is young, I mean, that's still a lot to ask for out of this young guy. So, yeah, I think Carl Malone, like we talked about with uh, other people, is just reading too much into it. Because like you said, I highly doubt there were instances when he was averaging 40 a game. That's a lot. That's a lot to play. I mean, hell, we look at um Jimmy Butler in the finals. He was playing north of 40 minutes. That man looked like he was dog tired. Like after every game, he was going to pass out. Not everybody is going to be able to give that type of energy. And for those who do, God bless. But it's not, I don't think it should be a requirement for a player to be considered a star. But all right, let's go ahead and make our game picks for tonight's action, starting with the Philadelphia 76ers taking on the Detroit Pistons. I got Sixers. I got Sixers. Miami Heat versus the Brooklyn Nets. I don't think Jimmy Butler is playing, and so, yeah, he's out. So I'm going to go Nets, but I think it's still going to end up being a close game because Kendrick Nunn's been balling lately. Yeah, I got Nets also. New Orleans Pelicans versus the Minnesota Timberwolves. I got Pelicans. Uh, Golden State Warriors taking on the Utah Jazz. Jazz been looking hot lately, so I'm going to keep riding with them. I got Utah. I got Utah also. Los Angeles Lakers taking on the Chicago Bulls. I got Lakers. I got Lakers. Houston Rockets versus the Dallas Mavericks. I got Mavs, even though I think it's going to end up being a close game. I got Mavs. All right, and then last but not least, the Denver Nuggets taking on the Phoenix Suns. Another game that I think can end up being pretty close, but I got Nuggets. Yeah, I got Nuggets, too. And now joining us to talk some world wrestling entertainment. That's me. Hi. Hello. Hi. How you doing? I'm tired. Oh, you're tired? You want to know who else is tired? Who? The Undertaker. Oh, hi, Mark. Of you sorry, soft sons of guns. Yeah. He didn't exactly say those words, but... Yeah, more or less. Something similar. After doing a recent interview on the Joe Rogan experience, Mr. Calloway, better known as The Undertaker, expressed his discontent with the current product of the WWE and said this, I try to enjoy it as a fan. It's tough for me because the product has changed so much and it's kind of soft. I'll probably piss off a lot of people, but they need to hear it. It is what it is. But to the young guys, oh, he's a bitter old guy. I'm not bitter. I did my time. I'm good. I walked away when I wanted to walk away. I just think the product is a little soft. There's guys here and there that have an edge to them, but there's too much pretty and not enough substance right now. Keezy, you're an Undertaker fan. Big old wrestling fan, too. Do you agree that the product is kind of soft? Well, not kind of. Do you think it's getting soft? No, I feel like it's it's been more like in, entertainment based. Like <clears throat> they basically just, um the wrestlers now they basically there, so um they 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 like do their job, put a smile on people's faces, and like basically like do what they all have been dreaming of doing. It's like which is wrestling. I feel like some people they they take it 
way too way more serious than it should be and this is one of those substances like it's not, it's not that serious I agree with the product being soft in the sense of it's not as hardcore as what wrestling had been for a long time like we're not seeing as many off the wall matches you know not as many inferno matches which we just all love seeing people set on fire hardcore matches steel cage like matches like that like in that retrospect i understand what he's saying because it seems like it's all more so geared towards being acceptable to all audiences i mean it's a pg program so what you expect but still though like but i mean even just because it's pg doesn't mean it has to be not because i'll say this when I look at NXT and I watch like Raw and SmackDown, or at least Raw before, you know, they got a little edgy, start setting people on fire. Like it, it was just a different feel to it. Like NXT kind of felt more gritty. And not saying that Raw and SmackDown were bad, it just, it just has a different feel to it. And normally, like I don't think it's a bad thing to be more appealing to all audiences, but I kind of understand what he's saying when he says it's just not. It doesn't have the same grit to it as it used to have. I don't agree with that. Because it's like most matches they did back then, they did for a rating. You can't do those matches now, especially like especially it being a PG program. It's like it's certain, it's certain matches that you probably can't do anymore. Or there's a safer way to do it. And I mean, they've still done wild, insanely unnecessary matches and done them in safe ways. Yeah, and like some matches they overdo. I mean, yeah, like the Hell in a Cell match. Like they they do the it quite a bit. Hell in a Cell still like they overdo those matches. You know, like some like certain matches like eh, we don't need to see it. Like, we don't have, we wouldn't see it as much as we do. Put it that way. I just I look at it like this with regards to take like I totally understand what he's saying about him thinking it's soft. Do I think it's soft to where it's unwatchable no because i still think that it's still quality things taking place i just think that especially because he was in the business for 30 years he saw almost every age of wwe firsthand and so i can see the differences from times past so i understand what he's saying in that retrospect so i i kind of i agree about it being kind of soft but i don't think that it's as bad as he's making it out to be now, I do disagree with him about the whole real men comment because rest, he goes back in the locker rooms and see wrestlers playing video games. And back in his day, other wrestlers had guns and knives. And it just doesn't feel like there are real men in the locker room. I disagree with that 150%. Anyway, we, we, we shouldn't have to bring those to work. Back then, people, y'all kept kayfabe alive. And uh, people thought what y'all, what that song was what happened in real life. So that's why most people have guns and not worried. They're afraid to get attacked by a fan. Now you, we well, fans still creeping do stuff that they shouldn't do. Case in point, saw you the bill. But you know, just because we play video games, don't mean we're less of a man. Which is and you and I were talking about this. It's like people can't do literally anything without being judged because. How does me choosing to spend my time playing a video game make me anything less than a man? It's one thing to say you think that wrestlers now are more immature, but how does me deciding...
to play my Xbox or PlayStation or whatever make me less of a man because I don't want to just be misogynistic, homophobic, sling, drink beers, beat my wife. Like, how is that less of a man? Someone took a dump on someone's bag. Here's looking at you, Miz. That's nasty. That's just disgusting. I'm like, real? It's, it's, not, it's not even that serious. Oh, it was just a rib. No, it's not. It was not. You took the crap in my bag. Okay. Well, you shouldn't have been a rookie, rookie. That, uh, I, like I don't know where it's like around that time, like early 2000s. I think he's in probably mid 2000s. Like, nah. And do I really want to do this? I'm happy more people say, you know what? I'll thug it out. I'll do it. But yeah, so. Yeah. Shout out to him and look at him now. One of the best tech talkers the business has ever had. So you take the good and the bad and what do you get? A solid mid-card career. Mm-hmm. Speaking of mid-card careers, let's talk Bobby Lashley, who has the look of a main eventer, has the size of a main eventer, but has not really been given the booking of a main eventer, especially since he has been back in the WWE after when he come back. What, 2017, 2018? 17. Yeah. So... And one match that I think that a lot of people, including myself, and I think you do too, want to see is Bobby versus Brock. It just seemed two MMA guys, two hard-nosed bodies of steel and toughness. We just want to see y'all go at it. Just one time for the one time. And Bobby Lashley wants the same thing. In a recent interview, he said, Once I'm done taking out this Brock wannabe, speaking of Matt Riddle, as I've said for years, I'll take Brock Lesnar whenever, wherever. Do you think we will ever get this match? If Brock cares about it, yes. I feel like Bobby, he's been wanting this match for a while, but I feel like we're only going to get this match if Brock wants this match. <laughs> and yeah. like, depending on like, if Brock cares enough, then we might get more than one match. <laughs> if he does, then you're going to get one match out of him. So like, it really depends on how Brock feels about this. Personally, I love to see this match, you know. Um, not everything needs to be like a thirty minute classic or a five star match. Sometimes you see like two guys like beating the crap out of each other. Right. You know? So, um, and they were I would love to see this match. And, you know, I would like to see like Bobby go over, but you know. Yeah, yeah. well okay, you're kinda like, wild now. If, if Brock cares, he might. Might. Probably not. But then if he cares there's a chance. If he doesn't care, Rip. Uh. Well, good luck. <laughs> I think the closest we got to it was a couple of years. Actually, it was a 2017 backlash. We saw Bobby versus Roman in a match that everybody thought, well, I guess the winner's going to face Brock. <laughs> Bobby won. Then the next night. Whoever wins this rematch is going to face Brock. And even Bobby was like, what was the point of this? And to that, WWE said, 50-50 booking. And now look, we haven't gotten it since, or anything mm-hmm. close to it. The other matches weren't even bad. Like, hey, that match was could, really good. Hey, we're gonna have a match at pay per view. Then we're gonna have a match the next night. Oh my god! Yeah, don't like, you just love fifty fifty booking? Isn't yeah. that what you open your mouth to see? You know, every uh, see fifty fifty booking. It works every now and then. Not every single. Not every single time. Oh. Not, sometimes we just need a solid winner and a solid loser. No. No. 
makes good for What do you think this is? Rock, paper, scissors? Rock, paper, scissors? No. That should make for a good young storytelling young. That's actually a winner. Anyway. That's actually time for a surprise roll too. I'm like, hey, we're going to do it like three times in one night. You don't want it? Oh, we're going to do it again. Okay, make it four. Speaking of things that uh almost happened but did not work out, Mercedes Martinez as a member of Retribution. Now, if you all remember, she was there for the first couple of showings, you know what I'm saying, looking all awesome and cool. But then... Like a good, like a good month right now. <laughs> and then it was just reckoning as the only woman there. Where did she go? Well, she turned back up on NXT, which I'm very, very happy about, and said this in a recent interview about her time with Retribution. I don't give any hard feelings, and I wish nothing but success to all those parts of the group. I just think it wasn't meant for me. It was meant for someone else. I want to make my legacy different, and that's why I'm back on NXT, and will put my mark on the women's division there. Do you think that it was the right move for Mercedes to say adios to the retribution? I'll say yes, especially, like, considering, like, she's wrestling around, um, around the age, like, where most women's wrestlers retire. And, like, she's still so good in the ring, and she wants to leave a legacy. And I feel like being in Retribution was, was not going to do that for her. Nope. Um, I feel like for the, um, the guys and medium who are in Retribution, like, could they recover from, them, recover from this? Yes. Like, you know, if they actually cared about Retribution. Eh. Will, will somewhat care, then stop caring, okay? Yeah, actually, you know what? You're going to kind of get yourself over with Mustafa Ali, and then we're just going to say no. It's going to okay, be bye. it's gonna be dead in the water. You're going to kind of resurrect yourself, and then, whoop, dead again. They're like, Retribution could work, but we're going to do everything in our power to not make it work, okay? You could get yourself over it, then, but, you know, we don't like when that happens. So, um, good luck with that. Merry Christmas. But um, as far as just far, just as her like being like going back to NXT, like she she has something to prove. She's like she's just there to prove like just how good she is. Like um, people talking about her wasn't just talk. Like she's a legit athlete, and she's gonna um do what she um has to do to become champion. Which I cannot wait for because I think she's freaking awesome. That's been my dog since the first May Young Classic. I've been such a fan of hers. And then when she came to NXT the first time and then left out shortly thereafter. And then she came back. And I was like, yes. And I was like, why is she in retribution? But now she's back. So hopefully she'll actually, you know, stay for a little while. Put her feet up. Chill. Get comfortable. She was there for a million classes. Okay. Came for a second. Oh, okay, cool. She came back. Then she signed a contract. But okay, yeah. <laughs> now this is the legitimacy I need. But yeah, I'm excited to see what she does. Speaking of somebody who, you know, while they were in NXT, I was excited to see what they did. And then they came to, you know. The quote-unquote main roster. Nikki Cross, who is another wrestler who has gotten a bit vocal with her displeasure with The Biz. Um, on a video on Twitter released a few days ago, this is what she had to say about her current booking. Honestly, I wouldn't even try to talk to me today because you're not going to get that big smile of mine that you always get today because I'm angry and I'm annoyed and I don't want to talk about New Year's resolutions or finding my happy place. The Royal Rumble is right around the corner and I have zero momentum going into it. I have no momentum to even win, so I'm absolutely fuming and the only thing that stopped me from getting even more angry is focusing on this ring and being the best I can be in the ring. So, Keezy. Do you think that the booking of Miss uh, Cross will change? 
Do you think that they'll give her anything to do? I mean, they could. Because Raw definitely needs something for her. It's like, they could, but like... Lily! This is up to to see, like, if it's actually going to happen. Honestly, I think... Watch your mouth. Anyway, I think that Nikki Cross has the talent to do something, but the problem is they brought her in incorrectly and changed her from Nikki to Nicole. Like, she's not the Nikki Cross that, like, got so over in NXT that had everyone excited. Like, I know. I know. Like, I got... I was more excited when she randomly popped up on SmackDown to face Becky Lynch than anything else she has done on SmackDown and or Raw since that time. And it's not that she hadn't had opportunities. Like, she had multiple championship matches against Bayley. Everybody knew she was going to lose, but she still had the matches. And then her tag team with... um, People just decided to, like, actually see her being a you guys should get in like, that she finally going to, like, somewhat push her. Like, we know she's going to lose, but, like, this actually... She can actually show what she can do. Then, like, she showed what she can do, and they still didn't use her. Like, okay. So, what, what's the point? Now, they got to have her with this, with whatever theme song she has now. It's it's not, it's it's not. Ever, it's it, the theme song she deserves because she is not Nikki Cross. She's Nicole it's, Cross. It's, it's a theme song that they should have gave to Lacey Evans. <laughs> hey, don't do that, because I love that song. Act like a late, that's my jam. And you know it's my jam. Don't you do that. But that's a, I, mean, I, don't, I mean, it could fit her, too. There's a Lacey Evans theme song where I've heard one, and they gave it to Nikki Cross. Nicole. Like, you're, you're like, your interest is the exact same, but you're, no. You're like, not, could, this is not right. But could, could it be, like, could, could this be, like, her, like, going back to the old, like, Nikki Cross for, of old? Like, possibly. Well, you know, we gotta wait to see what happens. It's like, it's been, it's like a lot of people that we know our talents is like the way TV presents them. Like, it's not them, it's the way they're booked. Like, every time we say something about a wrestler, like, it's literally, well, not every time, but like, sometimes when we say something about a wrestler, it's like not their fault. It's the way they've been booked. Like, right. like it's the way they're, they're programmed for us not to care about them. You can only do so much. I'm like, it's like, we know it's not your fault. Like, you are trying your best to um, get TV time to, like, show what people what you can do. And, like, it's they literally just not helping you out. <laughs> yeah. And then if you're not getting the... It's one thing to try to get yourself over, like, on social media or whatever. It's a whole other thing to actually get over to the point where they want to give you, like, you win matches. To where you're taken seriously in the ring. Which, once again, is disappointing because she is talented. Even though, like I said, not... Not this Nikki, you know. I'm not a fan, but you know the other one. Like if someone cool. said that, if someone said that they didn't care about Nikki, like all right, all right, I would understand. Like it's not her fault. It's that just... they don't care. It's the way that she's been like put on TV. Like she's been programmed to people, so they don't care about her. Yeah, I mean, how can you care about something that you're not? You don't often see. You know, it, it's it's been rough for her, and I feel for it. But I mean, what can you really do? Because I'm like, wins and losses matter or something. You want to tell Mel that you know they don't WWE doesn't care about your feelings about part timers headline in WrestleMania, and we you and I talk about it. Wrestling fans and forums, we all talk about it. But even wrestlers themselves know Vince and the higher ups are gonna do what they want to do, especially with regards to WrestleMania. Now, Biggie, a popular choice to potentially get such a big push to where he does challenge Roman Reigns at the 
showcase of the immortals. The granddaddy of them well, all. They don't call it that anymore. It makes it seem old. Like, yes. Well, okay. it's old. It's 36, 37 years, bro. You're old. Anyway, Biggie uh, was asked about it, and he had this to say. You know, you also know how it is, man. They're going to go through a list of part-timers, the big names, the big money guys who work once a year, and they're going to go through that list. And if they can't get all the guys who book for Roman, that can get booked for Roman for WrestleMania, then it's kind of like, now who do we look like who works here on a weekly basis? Who's actually been grinding? And now maybe we give them an opportunity. No, she said maybe. Not definitely, maybe. So, you know... Stranger things have happened. Do you think that this is the year WWE's like, you know what? Maybe we'll give this time to our guys, the people who've been trudging through a pandemic, coming to work every week in the performance center in our Tropicana field. Maybe. I can give I cannot give you a definite answer. I can say what Biggie said, maybe. <laughs> because at I I actually don't know where they where they're gonna go um with Roman, especially for like Mania, because like after KO, like I want Shinsuke. I'll be jiggy with Shinsuke. Could they do that? It makes sense. They definitely they most definitely could. I, Are they going to do it? Probably. Don't know. <laughs> I look at it like this with regards to Roman right now. There is no one in the business who is working on a weekly basis who. Excuse me. Who right now, if they were said they were going to face Roman, I could see it hit them winning. There's nobody. Big E, Shinsuke, Keith Lee, like any of those guys. Like I'm sure it'll be a hell of a match, but I don't see them winning. That's like actually, it's not a bad thing. Like Roman, he's he's doing a thing right now. Like he doesn't he doesn't need to um lose yeah. because of like like even like. Even with a loss, people still look strong facing Roman. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, what if anybody knows anything about WrestleMania, they know Shawn Michaels is Mr. WrestleMania. He has one of the worst win-loss records at WrestleMania, but nobody cares because you're just so damn good. If your performance is good, nobody's going to really care about the result as long as the storytelling is there. And I think that the only thing that really could be an argument for part-timers is besides of course the financial reasons like well it makes you think well could roman actually lose like well let's be honest nobody in here wants to see goldberg versus drew mcintyre but honestly with goldberg stepping up it's a thought wow drew could actually lose this thing not because goldberg is good not because goldberg is better than drew for the sole purpose of part-timers make it more interesting how greedy does the WWE want to be? Do they think they can make more money and get more eyes on the product if they have a part-timer, a well-known vet as champion? Which is frustrating, but it is the way that WWE is. So, with the initial question of do I think that the WWE is going to change their philosophies? Of course not. No. Will they do it this year, though? I think that money talks. And if they want to shell out a huge contract, like, for Mania, that's one thing. But I think it'll be hard-pressed to find guys like The Rock or just throwing names out there, like maybe a Stone Cold. I don't think Taker's going to come back. I hope he doesn't. But just guys like that, I don't think you're getting that without fans. And you can say, I know WrestleMania is slated to have fans, but unless it's going to be a packed house, I don't think that it's really going to work. So I can see this being actually a year 
where they have weekly talent actually challenge Roman. Which actually makes sense. Like, it's like, isn't some like something you can't bring back and people who just won't come back in front of an empty crowd? Which so. is totally understandable. If I'm a legend, I've given years to the biz. I'm not coming to an empty crowd to wrestle. Like, and of course, like I said, it's not necessarily going to be empty, but you know what I mean. Like, it's not going to be a packed house. There's not going to be 70,000, 80,000 people. Like, it's, I think they said it might be like 22,000, something like that. Something like that. Something like that. And I think it's going to be like around the same amount of people the Super Bowl is doing. I know they're doing like 22,000, 25,000. But it's not going to be a packed house. So we've seen Taker do it. He did his farewell with no fans. Uh, Stone Cold, 316, no fans. Like, it just does not the, feel the same. That was a PC. Yeah, it just does not feel the same without the fans. So I wouldn't be surprised if they bit the bull and said, fine, I guess we'll use people who actually work here. I can see this being yeah, the year maybe. for that. Yeah, we'll think about it. Like I said, well, there's always a definite maybe. So we'll see what happens this year. But, you know, like I said, I don't put it past them to not do it. Now, hear me out. You want to know what's not going to be a definite maybe? You want to know it's a straight up yeah? What? Next Sunday is Royal Rumble, my favorite pay-per-view. Something that we all love to see because I'm actually watching. Yes, and please do me a favor, universe, God, world. Last year at the Royal Rumble, I was not able to enjoy it. And it was it was a fine pay-per-view. But things happened that same day which took any joy out of my heart. Please don't do that to me this year. This year is stressful enough for me. I just need, I just need a peaceful day. No groundbreaking, shocking, tragic news. I just want to be able to focus on the Royal Rumble and enjoy myself. Okay? Please, thank you, Lord. I appreciate you. But let's talk about what we know so far about the Royal Rumble. Starting with the men's Royal Rumble, which Keezy had the hot take of, man. It's going right. to win. Wrong now. Kind of crazy. Look, I know it's a long shot, but you're good. He's a man. Imagine a man winning this kind of match. And this man has got something to say to you. This year's participants that we know of thus far are going to be Daniel Bryan, Bobby Lashley, AJ Styles, Randy Orton, Otis, Jey Uso, Cesaro, Jeff Hardy, Sami Zayn, and 21 to be announced con. Tenders. I'm sure they're eventually going to, you know, start throwing people in the hat. Considering, uh, they got eight days. Except, except Drew Gulak and you know Ricochet, because and once everyone they can declare themselves, except you two. Why do we have to? We need something to do. Like, yeah, you got you got to show that you want it. Like, what? But everyone else is like, okay, what's the point? You got to show us that you want it. But Adam, everyone else literally declaring their name. Yeah, Adam, except you two. As we all know, Adam Pierce does not exactly have his mind in the right place. Can I? I'm sorry. Do you watch SmackDown yet? Not yet. Okay. Well, I'm going to spoil one of the best parts. <laughs> Paul Heyman said, I'm from New York. I will whoop your ass. <laughs> he was, I like to see it, Me too. I like to see it. Anyway, I say that to say Adam Pierce's mind is focused on Roman and now Roman wants to kill him. He doesn't have the energy to actually make sense when it comes to his whatever his job is. Mm -hmm. So, you know, sorry about it. All right, now let's talk the women's Royal Rumble. Now, a match that you said a woman hey. would win. 
I, look, I look, I know it's a long shot, but you know. You're so insane. You're like, insane. Whoa. You're insane. Look, strange things have happened, you know. Yeah, you know. But just wait. Yeah. Okay. You know, like a nine-year-old kid winning, becoming a tag wait. team champion? It was 12. You know. Either way. <sighs> Nicholas. All right, so we know Nia Jax, Charlotte Flair, Bailey, Bianca Belair, who, I mean, God bless her. Because, look, I know she's strong and all, but Otis is a big boy. She just, she carried that man with ease. With the greatest of them. And then had the nerve to break Bailey's ankles and then still dunk. I'm not going to lie. Mm-hmm. I'd have to lay in bed for a while. I would have to have Montez. Oh Yeah, I'd have Montez like, you got to go. I, I can't feel my back. Uh, Mandy Rose, Dana Brooke, Peyton Royce, Shayna Baszler, Alexa Bliss, Liv Morgan, Ruby Riot, and 19 to be announced contenders. Watch. I wouldn't watch a woman win that one. Now, hear me out. I have a very solid number one. After that, I have no clue. But who's your favorite number two? Bianca, <laughs> because she's. I don't want to say names for like my predictions because if I give you my predictions now, while well, listen to the prediction show coming out next week. But yeah, like um, after my like top choice, I don't know. I don't know who to pick. Um, last year was kind of like that too. It was like the obvious Charlotte or like whoever else. Somebody. Right, and now this year is like I'm not gonna say this year is even obvious. It's just, it's just like this would make a lot of sense, but you know, we don't care what makes sense. So yeah, this is it's unpredictable in a good wow. way. Mm-hmm. I like watching Rumbles and not really having a clue who's gonna win because there have been few like the one that Oscar won. It was kind of cut and dry. Oscar was gonna win, you know, but now here we are. In 2021. Unpredictability. All right, Universal Championship. We're going to see a last man standing match between Roman Reigns and Kevin Owens. Rip Kev. And uh, WWE Championship match between Oldberg and Drew McIntyre. Who McIntyre is supposed to be slated to return from uh, off the COVID list on uh, Monday. Be cool, I guess. Progression of a feud that nobody wants. So, uh, yeah. So, so far, those are the only, like, confirmed matches of this point. So, uh, thoughts on the overall card? Looking forward to the Roman matches. And, um, that. Roman versus Kevin. You know, I'm pretty sure this going to be the last match of a few, but, you know. I hope so. I hope so. Just because I want to see some Not even bad matches at all. Yeah, it's you just, know, you know, I just want to see new. I want to see. We, we just want to see someone, someone, someone else die. I just want to see crazy Roman just go up against new people. I just want. I, I The dynamic of Roman is really dope to where it's like. Dang, who's going to die next? Not even that. It's like, who wants to Who wants to try the tribal chief? Who is sick of the tyrannical reign of right. the tribal chief enough to where. They want to step to the plate. That's what that's also, what makes it interesting. Uh, Roman, just because you listen, we're not calling you Randy Tyrannicals. No, no, no. We're just this saying what, this. Is what other people might. Yeah, be other people not are us. saying. Not us. I love it. I love all of it. It's amazing. Okay, we're gonna mention that one's at the all hell the chop, all hell the chop chief. But yeah, I mean, okay, no, no one's at the door, so we're safe. Honestly, of course, the Rumble matches I'm most looking forward to. Like I said, not that Kevin and. Uh, Roman have bad matches. Just, I'm, I'm oh, ready no. to see new blood. You know, I would, I, I would have really Literally. liked to see Adam Pierce versus Roman. I would have oh, liked to. Don't do that to that man. He's already stressed. Stressed enough. 
Oh, They're making us watch another Oldberg Championship match. So, right. so yeah, bump them. But that's our show. Thank you all so much for listening. As always, please be sure to check out the export.net. I repeat, the export.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes are our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The Export. Also, the announcement of us, the podcast being on more streaming services. Of course, we're still going to be on SoundCloud, but also starting this year, we're going to be on iTunes and Spotify. So, you know, follow, subscribe, like, review, all that good stuff. You know, check us out. Pop us up. You know, hype us up to the to the friends, the family, the others. Or if you hate them and you think we're terrible, then just, you know, tell them to listen to us for torture. Keys, you got anything you want to say before we close out? Well, here's to another death to Kevin Owens. That's about it. Hardly knew ye. And uh, all I got is, you know, sports. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited to see football. Yeah, love to see it. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you all next time.